John chapter 1 verse 18 tells us that no one has seen God at any time. There's been a lot of speculation over the thousands of years, but for the longest time there has been no definitive proof of God's existence. But this lack of definitive proof has not stopped mankind from searching for God. One man thinks he's found God in the trees. Another claims that God is in the weather. Another believes that God is a rock, while still another person believes that God speaks to him through the wind. Everybody is looking for God. And each one of them is correct to some degree. Hebrews chapter one and verse one teaches us that God has spoken to mankind in many and various ways. God has spoken in a myriad of ways over these thousands of years. He's spoken through prophets. God has spoken through wind. He's spoken through fire. God has even spoken to man through a donkey. God has been trying to speak with us for as long as the earth has turned on its axis. God's message is the same message it has been since the dawn of time. But no matter how creative God has been in delivering these transmissions to us, the message remains spotty and inefficient. And it left us with the task of trying to interpret what the message signified. I met up with an old friend for lunch a few weeks ago. Hadn't seen him in a couple of years. I'd been writing emails and calling him on the phone, leaving voice messages, asking him to call me back. He wouldn't call me back. And so now finally I'm meeting him for lunch. I asked him, what's been going on in your life that is so important that you couldn't pick up the phone and call me back? He explained that since we had, had fallen out, he wasn't sure whether I wanted to talk to him or not. And I had no idea what he was talking about. When did, when did you and I fall out? What are you talking about? He pulled out his phone, he showed me the email that I sent him, and he said, after I read the email, I realized you were disappointed with me and you wanted nothing to do with me, and, and, and so I didn't want to call. Wait, that was a joke, that was a joke. I've been, we've been friends for 20 years, I was joking. You didn't know that was a joke. Two years you haven't spoken to me and you thought that I disliked you. You misinterpreted my message. This is the dilemma that God faced in trying to communicate with us. The thing about email is this, you send an email and the person can't see your face, he can't see your physical expression, he can't hear your tone of voice, and so he is left to interpret the message for himself. And very often, he gets the message wrong. This was God's dilemma in the Old Testament, trying to talk to us. We couldn't see his face, we couldn't see his hands, we couldn't understand the message, and so left to our own devices, we misinterpreted the message every time. We think that God is angry, and God is a judge, and God doesn't like people, and God is dangerous, and God is saying, that's not the message. Why are you not understanding the message? But we couldn't see his face. And the more we mismanaged or misunderstood the message, 
the worse our relationships became with one another and the worse our relationship became with God. And it appeared that the more God spoke, the worse things became. That's what Paul means when he says, the law came and sin revived and I died. God spoke to me, sin revived and I just died. Every time God spoke, it seems like, things were getting worse. Not because God wasn't being a good communicator, but because God was communicating in ways that most humans could not receive. We all know that the greatest obstacle to having a healthy relationship is ineffective communication. You married people know that, right? The greatest obstacle to having a healthy relationship is ineffective communication. But the greatest obstacle and the barrier that keeps us from having a relationship with God is our own lack of spiritual imagination. And this is why God's message wasn't in home with many people. Because humans for the most part are earthbound creatures with no palate and no taste for spiritual things. We can sometimes see outside of ourselves, but our lack of focus, our inability to maintain focus on God and his message, our own insecurities even, tend to color God's message every time. And we come away sometimes more confused. And so God the Father wanted to simplify the message for us. And he left us no room for misunderstanding. He left us no space to get this message wrong. He sent us Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Morse code, if you will. Jesus Christ is the direct communication. He is the message of God. He is the Son of God. No more intermediaries, God says. No more getting the message wrong. I am sending you my only begotten Son to make the message plain for you. Jesus promises us that if we seek God, we will find him. If we ask, we will receive from him. If we knock on the door of the house of God, that God will invite us into his house and we can stay with him forever. Hmm. The disciples believed him. But when the disciples started seeking after God, they still couldn't find him. Exasperated, Philip says to Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 8, just show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. No more talk, Jesus. Just show us the Father. That will satisfy us. Philip, just like most of his fathers before him, and just like most people alive in the world today, didn't get it. The communication still wasn't clear enough. Philip still could not see God. Just show us. Jesus responds to Philip in verse 9 and says this, Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet have you not come to know me? No more misunderstanding. No more confusion. No more ineffective communication. Jesus Christ and the Father are one. They are the same. He is the messenger sent from God, and he is the message of Almighty God. That's good stuff right there. But what is the message that God has sent? 
What was it that God has been trying to say to me and to you since the world began? What is the message? The message is so simple. The message is so tame, we tend to overlook it in our quest for religion. We find the answer to this question in the Gospels. As we observe the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I like to keep us engaged in one of the Gospels all the time. Because in my mind, and the truth is, that if you want to truly understand God, the better you understand Jesus Christ, the better you understand the Father. The Father's message to us is revealed most clearly and most efficiently and effectively in the of his only begotten Son. Okay, so what is the message? The Father's message to all mankind in its most concise form is simply this. I love you. And I am willing to do anything it takes to be with you. That's all he was trying to say. That's all he was trying to say in Genesis. I love you and I am willing to do whatever it takes to be with you. That is the finest thing. This is the message the Lord Jesus Christ came in, into the world to bring us. With every healing and every blessing through each act of kindness and every instance of forgiveness in Christ's demeanor and through his teachings, by his death and by his resurrection, the message rings true and the message is the same. I love you and I am willing to do whatever it takes to be with you. Isn't that simple? Why is the Christian faith so complicated? Why do we complicate our life, our walk with Jesus Christ so much? When the message is so simple. I just love you and I will do anything it takes to be with you. That's all. End of message. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, you can be a robber or you can be a giver, you can be a murderer or you can be a healer, a liar or a truth teller. I love you and I am willing to do whatever it takes to be with you. This is the message Jesus Christ demonstrated to the 12 and to the 5,000. This is the letter Jesus showed to the woman with the issue of blood and to the tax collector. This is the message he communicated to Paul on the road to Damascus when he knocked him off of his horse and covered his eyes with scales. I love you. I am willing to do whatever it takes to be with you, even if it means knocking you off of your horse. Sometimes love can be painful. This message is precious and ageless. This is the final communication that God the Father has or ever will give to creation. This message is the first principle and the introduction to the finer things of the kingdom of God. This message is the finest thing.
This message is head and shoulders above everything else. This good news has no equal. This good news represents all that God ever wanted to say. And just how valuable is this message? Paul demonstrates to us in verse 11 and 12 of Philippians chapter one, that this message is so precious that it is worth any inconvenience. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. In Kiev, Ukraine, a couple weeks ago, 27-year-old mother was breastfeeding her six-week-old baby. When the siren began to ring and everyone was saying, heads down, heads down, and she could hear this projectile coming toward their location. And Olga, her name was Olga, Olga quickly wrapped her baby up and placed the baby beneath her body. And just before the shrapnel shredded the building, she covered her baby and she held on. The blast knocked Olga unconscious. She awakened, the first thing she wanted to know was, is my baby all right? Is my baby all right? That was the single most important thing on her mind and in her heart, is my baby all right? Never mind the blood that's running down my face. When they showed her in the hospital, shrapnel had just destroyed her face, destroyed her chest, destroyed her back. Never mind the blood that is coming from my body, is my baby all right? Never mind the bone that is protruding from my leg. Never mind me. Is my baby all right? Paul is in dire circumstances. Paul is in prison. His life has been ground to a halt as he has lost his freedom to move about. But this is not Paul's main concern. Don't feel sorry for me. Is the gospel all right? Yeah. Is the message still progressing as it should? This inconvenient circumstance of mine has only turned to the greater progress of the gospel and for that I am glad. Paul, you're in prison. You're only eating once a day. You're losing weight. You're looking bad. Is the gospel all right? <laughs> despite his change, despite his inconvenience, is the gospel all right? And if the gospel is all right, all is well. So precious is this gospel that in verse 20, Paul the apostle says, even if I have to die, <laughs> this will lead to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will give my life for this message. Is the gospel all right? My imprisonment, Paul says, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone. Everybody I've come into contact with while I've been in prison has heard the message. Everyone that I have come into contact with in prison has seen my example of faithful suffering. I am well known and the message is well known. Somebody say, Paul, you should try to find yourself a lawyer, man. You got a court date coming up. You've been in jail for a year now. 
You should be somewhere trying to find yourself a good lawyer. You should be in the library trying to read up on some legal books to plead your case. But he has no time for that. He has no time for himself and his own conveniences. The message of the gospel reigns preeminent in his life. And the message is worth any inconvenience. The message is worth any suffering. It is the finest thing. And even if I become weak, may the gospel remain strong. Even if I am persecuted, may the gospel be secured. This message is more precious than rubies and it's finer than gold. It is worth the suffering. It is worth the hurt. It is worth the struggle. The followers of Jesus Christ, we live for this message. We are alive because of this message. We'll give our lives to proclaim this message. May we all be grateful forever for this message. May we support and proclaim this message until Jesus Christ comes again. This message is the only clear communication that God has ever given to us. It is most precious. It is more precious than our lives. When I was in Washington, D.C., I was on the inaugural committee for George H.W. Bush. I had never met him. My job was to drive around his VIPs. One day I was standing beside the vehicle waiting for a VIP to come out and out came George H.W. Bush. Totally by chance, he wasn't looking for me, of course. But I saw him. He was coming from a meeting, he was flanked by his Secret Service guys. And I looked at him and I smiled. Didn't want to say anything, I just smiled and waved. And George H.W. Bush looked at me and nodded his head in my direction. That's all he did, he didn't, say, he didn't say anything, he just did this. He just acknowledged me, that's all he did. The President of the United States nodded at me and I felt like I was on top of the world. A simple gesture of nodding his head from a man of power made me feel like anything was possible. God has done more than just give us a gesture. God has spoken to me directly. God has acknowledged our presence. God has acknowledged our dignity. God has condescended to our low estate just to be with us, just to speak with us. God has spoken to me and God has spoken to you. That should cause all of us to believe that anything is possible. That there is nothing to fear, that there is nothing to lose, and there is everything to gain. Paul heard the message on the road to Damascus and that message consumed the rest of his life. Paul recognizes what a great privilege it is to be entrusted to carry the presage precious message of Jesus Christ even in his chains. He remains faithful to the ministry. That is the power of the message. The message gives you the power and the ability to speak even in chains, even through struggles, despite my baggage and despite my past. The message still speaks through Paul. The message speaks, and Paul says that many brothers and sisters have come to trust in the Lord because of my imprisonment. And they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Look at how singularly focused he is. You know, that's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to be. 
so dedicated, so focused on disseminating the message that nothing in this world can deter me, not my bills, not my family problems, not my sickness, not my challenges, no problem can force me to take my eyes off the ball, delivering the message. If my patient suffering with joy can be encouragement to other believers and to unbelievers, if it can inspire anyone to get involved in disseminating this message, then let me suffer. Don't worry about me, Paul says. Concern yourself only with carrying on the message in my absence. Hmm. Take the message. Not everyone who brings the message, however, is doing it for the right reasons or from the right place. But that's okay. The message is so precious and so fine that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be effective even in the hands of God's enemies. Dr. Lucifer said even the devil is God's devil. Even God's enemies can proclaim this message and the message can still produce results, even in the hands and the mouths of the enemies of God. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. What you say? Some are preaching Jesus Christ even from envy and strife. Who would do such a thing as that? Why would someone do that? If a person is not committed to the gospel, why would they waste their lives proclaiming the gospel? Who would do such a thing? There are many reasons why people proclaim the message, and they're not all good reasons. Some people proclaim the message for money. Did you know that religion is one of the biggest businesses in the whole world? Religion for many people is a business. They proclaim the message for all the wrong reasons. You say, well, God's going to get them. God should strike them. Now, God says, no, just keep on proclaiming. I'll deal with you at judgment for your sins. But if you're going to keep on putting the name out there, keep, keep putting the name out there. Even the devil is my devil. <laughs> Jesus walking down the street, the, devil, the man possessed with the devil. Jesus, thou son of God, why have you come to torment me before my time? Even the devil is confessing. Jesus says, hold your peace, hold your peace. But thanks for, the, th thanks for promoting my name for me. Even, even, somebody said, even bad publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Just saying my name is good. Keep on saying my name, even if you don't like me. Keep on saying my name, even if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Keep on saying my name. Keep putting it out there. Keep planting my seeds. You'll get no reward for it in the end. No, you're gonna, you're gonna be in trouble because your motives were impure, but for the mean, in the meantime, just keep on pushing the message. That's how important the message is. The message is so important, God is even willing to allow sinners to carry it. Anybody can carry the message. <laughs> that is how preeminent the message is. But these people, these people that Paul is describing here, I don't believe these are irreligious people. I believe these are Christians. Christians who've been watching Paul's ministry from afar and have become envious of him. And now that he's in prison, there's this 
vacuum of power, they're stepping into Paul's positions, taking over the churches, removing Paul, <laughs> taking his place. That's what happened in the Corinthian church. Power moves and religious power plays. And Paul is in jail saying, man, I'm already in jail. You want to add insult to my injury. While I'm in here, you're taking over my churches. Hmm. <laughs> but that was okay. But you have to wonder, why would God allow these kinds of people to carry his message? The answer, answer is simply because the message is preeminent. It is of preeminent importance. Anybody can carry the message. I heard a commercial recently where this investment company offers you the ability, you guys probably heard about this, it's an investment company. They offer you the ability to only invest in companies and corporations that, that kind of hold to your standards, that, that you believe in, that, that fight for your causes. You heard about that? New cool thing you can do. You can say, I don't want to be with that company. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a climate activist. I don't want to de devote any money to the oil company. I want to do this. You know, you, you can kind of pick and choose who you, who you partner with. That's kind of cool, I guess, for some people. God is not like that. God doesn't discriminate who can, who can pro proclaim this message. If you want to proclaim it, go right ahead and proclaim it. I'll deal with you on judgment, but for now, go ahead and put my word out there so my sheep can hear my voice and come home. It's not a partnership. You're not in partnership with God. God doesn't partner with the devil. God doesn't partner with the world. But the message is free. Proclaim it if you want to. God's main concern is that the message be delivered. It's that important. So important that God would allow people to preach it even for nefarious reasons. Then Paul says some people preach out of goodwill. Some people are doing it for the right reasons. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. But the former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking that they're causing me distress in my imprisonment. Paul's explanation here is very interesting. He says there are people who are proclaiming the message in order to do him harm in order to hurt him while he's in prison. Greedy and selfish believers trying to take advantage of Paul, trying to soft siphon off members from his church. Creating, that's what a church split really is. That's what a church split is all about. Revolts going on in the church and envy and strife and ambition take over and people begin to separate envious and jealous for power, consumed by unholy ambitions and envy. Classic church split. And they think, these people who are preaching for the wrong reasons, they think that their maneuvering is going to make Paul hopping mad. They think they're getting an advantage over Paul, but they have severely missed the point. Look at how Paul views their wicked scheme. First he says in verse, 16, verse 18, what then? What then? That can be interpreted as, so what? I like that. What then? What difference does it make? Whether I or Apollos or Cephas, whoever preached, so what? In the grand scheme of, of things, our great God will still have his way. 
Their vitriolic stance toward Paul doesn't matter one bit. Paul says, you know the thing that really matters most? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether out of love or out of fear or out of envy or out of vainglory or out of greed, whether they were sent or whether they just went, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. <laughs> I like that man. This is all that really matters. This is the message that is more precious than gold. This is the reason, this is the purpose and the only intention of the Father. Christ be proclaimed so that all humanity might receive the message that God loves us. God is willing to do whatever it takes to be with us. And this is what Jesus Christ has so perfectly revealed. And if this is the message being proclaimed from my friends or from my enemies, God is pleased with the message even if he is not pleased with the messenger. Hmm. This is the message, brothers and sisters. This is the only message. This is the preliminary message that God loves me and that God has shown that he is willing to do whatever it takes to be with me. And that's all he ever wanted to say. Isn't that simple? As I was studying this message this week, I just kept thinking, man, religion can get so cloudy. Religion can become so cumbersome so demanding, so tiring, so many laws and rules and you gotta act a certain way and be a certain way, especially, never mind, that's my personal business. You, you gotta act a certain way and be a certain kind of way. Well, no, the message was just this, I love you and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be with you. Let that sink in this week. But there's nothing to prove. That God is not expecting anything from you. He just loves you. And he has proven that he is willing to die so that you can live. And that's all it is about. Nothing more, nothing less. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? Sounds so basic. But the finer things are always the simple things. The finer things are never very complicated. God is one. He's not complex, he's just one. <laughs> Think about this this week, ponder this. Never mind your performance, never mind your sins, never mind what you're getting right or what you're getting wrong. Just bask in the radiance of the love of God. Rest in his presence and let your perfect love cast out your fear. Let's pray. Father God, I have to admit that it is difficult to believe that you went to such great lengths 
to tell me something so simple and so encouraging and so comforting. That you are willing to lose it all for my sake. That there was nothing to you more important in all the cosmos, in all of creation, in heaven or on earth than us. It is so easy for us to forget this, Lord. So easy for us to lose our place and to begin to misinterpret your message. But I pray, Lord God, that this message will be our singular focus, that we will ponder your love both day and night, that we will enjoy being in your presence, that we will enjoy being with you as much as you enjoy being with us. My specific prayer for us this week is that you would help us to realize just how significant we really are to you. We say that we believe this, Lord, but in so many ways we disprove it. We are so afraid and so insecure, so meticulous about our every movement that we're not even able to relax in your presence. Help us to learn to enjoy your love. Help us to learn to enjoy the provision of the Holy Spirit that you have given to each of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your care and your concern for us. Help us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to ensure that this message remains front and center in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name.